This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And Niall's already giggling because he's being naughty today. So we'll just have to keep him in check. And actually, we're not alone to do that. We've got an awesome guest with us today. We've got the one, the only, James Sahota with us. And I'm going to hand over to you, James, to introduce yourself. Who are you and what you do in property? Thank you very much. Oh, what an intro. So yeah, as you said, my name is James Sahota, the last time I checked. Um, uh, <laughs> I have been called many other things under the sun. And most recently, people have started referring to me as Uncle James. And I think that was something that was brought along by uh, my fellow co-host at our networking event, Tej, who seems to think he can call me uncle because I'm a little bit older than him. But the names <laughs> are stuck. I've now got people that are 10, 15 years older than me calling me uncle. So yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. But James, do you want us to call you Uncle James for the whole of the episode? I think I think it might stick, Uncle James. <laughs> you can call me Uncle James if you want. I've been called far worse. But um yeah. So I'm James. I'm I'm uh, I'm 39 years old. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a full-time property developer. Um, prior to this life, I did run a business um, which involved running a, a print agency, uh, ran that business for 12 years, uh, really, really enjoyed it, but realized quite early on that most of my money and my wealth was being made in property. And that just happened to be my side hustle alongside my business. So there came a point where the opportunity arose that I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this full time. And as crazy as it was, it's actually it's actually worked in my favor. Um and, and yeah, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I also host my own podcast, the J Podcast, and I'm also a co-host at the Property Event, which is a brand new networking event. It's only four months in, but it's based in London, and I believe it's going to be one of the biggest events out there. Nice. Oh, yeah, I've seen um, quite a bit of your um, some photos of, of the Property Event. It looks like a really cool um event although most of the photos seem to be of Tej I don't see much of you on there that's uh, because I'm you know I'm in the background doing all the entertaining making sure people's glasses are filled with alcohol and you know doing the welcoming where he just wants to mooch around and being being pictures of his silly yellow t-shirt yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh he's a good friend of the old podcast is Tej um in fact we first interviewed Tej over lockdown when it first hit it was a well god it would have been what summer 2020 I think it was summer. and we ended up doing a property property jam uh red and uh Tej talks yellow game of um was it Connect Four. yeah um and we lost so yeah that was we lost a big time we lost we lost hard yeah <laughs> Well, we kind of stopped caring halfway through. <laughs> almost gave up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we've had Ted John recently, and now we've got you. So yeah, that's amazing. So so you just sort of figured out that property kind of made more sense financially, I guess. Yeah. Do you know what it was? It was any profits that were being generated in the business were always going into some kind of property deal, or you know, someone would say, "Oh, James, I've got this really good deal. Do you want to buy?" It? I'd be like, "Yeah, okay. You know, I need to park this cash up because I didn't just want to keep spending it." And do you know, and, and then when I looked at it over a period of time, I thought, wow, some of these places that I've bought in London that I've just been sitting on for two, three years have grown so much. And, you know, it's just accidentally happened. It's not something that I planned. It was just to park some cash up. Um, so when the opportunity came around, I thought to myself, do you know what? This makes perfect sense for me to go into this full time. And sadly, my business did go into liquidation. And I talked quite openly after 12 years after a long period, sorry, after a small period of being ill, the firm, you know, it, we lost some big clients, so it went into liquidation. And I thought to myself, do you know what? This is a perfect time for me to just, you know, put myself under masses of stress again and start a property business. And one of my first major projects after after uh, leaving the business life was a new build. So I got straight into a new build, never done a new build in my life. Um, plot of land that I bought and had the vision and thought to myself, do you know what? One day I'll get planning on this. And that's probably not the right way to go about buying a piece of land. But for me, I could see that there was a there was a 1.3 million pound house on this side. There's a 1.3 million pound house on this side. 
And there was a portion of land that already had an office on it, a small office, but planning had been refused for a dwelling for kind of 12 years. Sorry, no, 12 times in, I think, four years. So most people would look at this and think, do you know what? I'm going to stay away from this. I'm just not going to go near it. But one thing I spotted was the current owner who owned the land, there was a lot of ego with him. You know, he could he just wasn't listening to what the council was saying. They kept saying, look, you can't have a two bedroom dwelling here. It just doesn't work. If we reduce it to a one bed, we'll consider your application. But he'd got it so firm in his head that no, 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 I'm not listening to any of this nonsense. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> and when he didn't get planning, he was forced to sell it. And we just happened to come across it through a third party. Said, look, this guy's struggling. Went to see it and decided, you know what, I'm going to buy this. So I ended up buying it. And then obviously when 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 my business wasn't there anymore, I had masses of time on my hand. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. And, and it was actually my wife who said to me, look, I think you can do this, James. You know, you know, you've done more complex things within the business. So I thought I'm going to take this on. And I did. And that's where it really kind of started in terms of um, a full time career in property. And you know, most people would start with something small. But I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go straight into this new build and just see what happens. Wow, man, that's amazing. Brave. When, when baptism that? of fire. Yeah. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was 2018. Okay. 2018. Oh. And you know what? It wasn't it wasn't plain sailing at all. <laughs> no? <laughs> really? Um, Funny that. <laughs> but when you say you you dive you dive into it, did you um kind of were you on the tools or were you um, project managing it? You know, at what level of you because know, you obviously dove into this project, or were you just um did you employ everybody to do it for you? No, so I was actually overseeing the whole project. I was yeah. project managing it. I was dealing with the architects. I actually put the design together myself and worked with the architect. I knew exactly how I wanted this building to look. Um, and then, yeah, I was I was kind of writing a schedule of works, looking at the costings. I was literally doing everything. But what I wasn't doing was a bit of due diligence in the beginning. And, you know, I spoke about this many times before. Um, and I ended up getting hit for £105,000. And, you know... I've just come out of a liquidation and I'm already quite, you know, sore from these wounds. It got open wounds from, from, from losing a business. And then suddenly within a very short period of time, I've gone and lost another 105,000 pounds. And I'm thinking to myself, James, fuck, are you just stupid or what? What the hell is going on here? And I remember at one point looking at the site and it was just a hole in the ground. And I'm thinking, we've lost 105 grand. You've got a site here. You're nowhere near complete. You've lost a bit of investor finance here as well. And the worst thing, I had to go home and explain this to my wife. And I'm just I'm just thinking, wow, you know, and it then occurred to me. And on a serious note, it occurred to me why certain people may at certain points in their life think, you know what, I've just had enough. I'm going to commit suicide. And on a serious note, I'm standing there thinking I'm not going to do this. Totally not. I know my character is much stronger than that, but. I'm thinking when your back's that far up against the wall and you've got so many things going against you, I, I can see why somebody would think, do you know what? It might just be easier for me to jump off a bridge or, or, or do something stupid. And mm. it's only then that I thought, do you know what? Take a step back, take a deep breath and analyze this whole situation and see what you can do to get out of this hole. Um, yeah. So when you say project managing it, yeah, I was project managing it, but I was, I was project managing it very, very bad to start with. <laughs> Oh, and what was what was the hundred and five thousands? Was that uh, an unforeseen cost? Well, no, it wasn't an unforeseen cost. What that was was trusting a friend who you've been going to the gym for years, and he's a builder, and he's a so-called builder, and he's built new builds before. And you just say, "Do you know what? Here you go. Here's a chunk of money. Just take care of it for me." That's what that was. No due oh, diligence. No nothing. No putting. Uh, there was a payment plan there, but you just think, "I've known this guy for a long, long time." I see mm -hmm. him six days a week, every single morning. He's more than a friend, you know, he's, he's become yeah. a bit of a close acquaintance, but obviously he had other ideas and, you know, it turned out he couldn't actually read the drawings properly because where th this building was sub sub basement build. So it had to be yeah. built 1.5 meters into the ground. And, you know, this idiot just started building it at ground level. And it was, it was a rather embarrassing conversation when the neighbor next door said, because James, I thought I'd call you up and let you know that your building's been built at the wrong height. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? He goes, look, I'm an architect and I'm looking at these plans right now wow. and they have got the wrong ground level. So it all had to come down again. Oh my God, you're joking. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you still go to the same gym? 
Do you still see him? <laughs> no, he conveniently enough, he's not a member of that gym anymore. Oh, really? No, one's, yeah. no one's seen him. Wow, babe, that's insane. <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh. So how far uh, was this project sort of close to where you were living were you kind of regularly at it because like for the neighbor to notice yeah I mean to be fair no I wasn't to start with I was not regularly there I was there maybe once a week and that was just and it was close it was only 27 sorry about 21 miles away I live in east London and this was southwest London but you know traveling that kind of distance in London can seem like you're going to Birmingham or something so I wasn't always there and you know what a lot of it trust because I'm quite a trusting person I thought I wouldn't do this to no one hey nobody's going to do this to me but no no it just just wasn't the case and even when I confronted the guy on it he was very kind of negative he wanted to try and make it sound like it was my fault that we hadn't had enough money in the budget etc etc and you know what you come to a point there where you think okay I can either waste loads and loads of bad energy with this now or I'll make a choice and just move forward because I know if I had spent time just stressing and sitting there thinking, oh, shit, I've lost all this money. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't think I'd ever got the project finished. It would never have got finished. So I had to try and see some kind of positive in this massive disaster. Yeah. And and the positive was that, look, you need to get your shit together and check stuff. You know, make sure you're doing your due diligence. And, you know, no matter what somebody says, yeah. um, everything is, you know, double checked, triple checked, and you verified stuff yourself. So... Yeah, there were some great, great lessons learned from it. And I look back now and I think, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad it happened very, very early on. You know, some people might not be able to recover from a loss like that. But lucky for me, you know, I had a property that had gone up significantly in value in London, you know, three or four times, almost four times what I paid for it. So I was able to release some capital from there and get the project across the line. And the fact that the market grew massively as well and... um we, we kind of it it just went up you know it it went up more than our predictions we you know we thought it was going to be worth x amount and it was actually worth a hell of a lot more and in the end it, it ended up being a really nice profitable project and you know there was a kind of silver lining on this really dark cloud mm. oh, i'm pleased yeah. yeah yeah i'm glad it worked out in the end yeah yeah, I was going to add, you know, sometimes it's better to have these challenges on the first project. So you don't go in thinking, oh, this is so easy. How Look how easy it is to make money, because then you go and make you take bigger risks on the next one um, thinking that you got it right the first time, whereas maybe the first time was just luck. So, um, yeah, sometimes Absolutely. you know, getting burnt the first time is the best time to get burnt. As long as you, as you say, take that resilient view of moving forward um, and, and not going, OK, no, this isn't for me. So uh, yeah, no. And the thing is, and the thing is, when, when we got the pro- when we got the project back on schedule again, and then, you know, I took it right back to basics. And and this time, when I was vetting the trades, I was really vetting the trades. And you know, you find that actually there's some really really nice builders out there. You know, when you start when you start talking to them and you start getting out there and looking at some projects and bits people are doing. There's some nice guys out there that are far more qualified than the guy I was using. And the worst thing is the quotes were coming in a lot cheaper as well. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. So maybe, I think you probably answered quite a lot of it in there anyway, but we'll ask the question. Well, what does the human side of property look like to you or mean to you? Wow. That's a good question. I think um, for me, I think, it's all about relationships now, you know, I, um, I take my time forming relationships with builders and I'm very, very, I'm very, very cautious still. So I think, um, relationships is a big one. You know, I take, um, I don't, I'm very cautious to call a builder a friend because I try to keep a boundary there because I don't want anybody overstepping any boundaries with me. Cause I think contractors, builders, people can get comfortable when they think, okay, you know, I'm having a drink with James on a Friday. He's not really a client. He's becoming a bit of a mate. So I always think there needs to be really, really strict boundaries, but that doesn't mean you need to be an arsehole to people. You know, I see other people talking about how nasty builders are. They're this, they're that. I'm not going to call out any names, although I probably should. Um, (laughs) um, I think, like you said, there is a human side to this. You know, there's a massive human side to it. And for me, it's relationships, it's respect, and when it comes to tenants as well, it's tenant welfare. 
I don't I think there's a lot of people that go into this game and they don't really give a shit about a tenant. And for me, it's it's absolutely paramount that I think about my tenant straight away when I'm designing a project because I just, you know, because people forget without your tenants, you don't have a product, you know, without, without people renting this from you, you don't have a product. And I see people talking about void periods and you know, having difficulties filling uh, a particular property with a tenant. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never had that. I've never had a void period bigger than less than five days, you know, or I listed a property last night that I've just recently finished. And within six hours, I've got 21 viewing requests. And this isn't a cheap property, you know, £2,100 to rent a three bedroom house is not cheap. So the client just flooded in, my phone's just pinging, pinging, pinging. And I think a lot of this is down to thinking about the client, thinking about the people you work with and not just treating this as, oh, I'm going to make shitloads of money. Because if you start thinking like that, this game gets very, very boring very quickly. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so much of it is the thought you put into the the customer and the, the, the product that you provide for them, isn't it? Because, you know, just there's so much more to property than just getting the project done. It's like who you're getting it done for and which is where the human side plays into it massively. And I think, Matt, you know, last time we spoke, we spoke about this on the podcast and, you know, just looking at the cover of your book, Next Level Landlord, you know, you are a next level landlord because you guys, you guys do this very, very well. You guys think about this as well. And I'm finding there are there are people in this game that actually think about the client. But then there's a lot of people that just, oh, yeah, my ROI is this. I'm getting this amount of money. I'm getting this. And no one really talks about, you know, can I think. If you took the tenants out of this, if you took the clients out, and I hate I hate calling them tenants. I don't know why. I just don't like that word tenants, you know. I prefer the word clients. But if you took your clients yeah. out of this, they wouldn't have a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. people wonder why they can't fill rooms because it's like, because you don't give a shit about people. Exactly. You don't care how someone's going to move around this space. You You haven't thought, I mean... I say to people, they go, how can I, how can I produce a successful James? I said, just imagine yourself living in there. And I can guarantee you there's a lot of things that you would do then rather than just thinking, oh, I've got a 60 grand budget. I can't do this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like how, how humans move within spaces and then providing something that provides that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and if you want to hear more about uh, me talking about that, head over to James's podcast. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> there we go. And um, so I can't remember what episode it is. Um, it, was, it was an early episode, actually. One of the early, ones. An early episode. But uh, yes, I, I did talk about our uh, tenant first kind of methods um, with, with James. But just an interesting point you, you mentioned there about not calling them tenants. And um, the, there's an interesting poll that was done recently. But most landlords don't like being called landlords anymore. Mm. So I'm starting to think the renaming my book. Um, but thinking of what they wanted to be called, they wanted to be called um, accommodation providers or um, what was the other word? Um, I think it was just like accommodation providers. So, but next level accommodation providers doesn't have the same ring. Um, no, it's a bit, no, it doesn't sound right. Doesn't funky, sound right. isn't it? Space <laughs> creators. Space creators. Space creators. I'm a space creator. Oh, I like that. That sounds like, that sounds like a bit extraterrestrial as well. Yeah, it? that's like, it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's really right. funny though, because you have, to, you have to appeal to, um, I guess, the, it's got to be searchable isn't it and people aren't gonna they, when those terms are new like co-living's a new term it's like landlord is what's known so you kind of have to play to the masses don't you yeah you know, it's why people still use the word tenants and like, because no one can uh can move away from it because that's what it technically is it's like hmo no one can really move away from the word hmo because that's what it technically is sure. and, and those are technical things in legislation so People are referred to as a tenant and landlords are referred to as landlords. Yeah, yeah. And, um, even the contracts, it's a tenancy agreement. That's, a, yeah. you know. Yeah, a yeah, good point. Tenancy mm. with, a, with a tenant. And um, so that's kind of the underlying. So it comes down to your um, your business model, I think. So we call yeah. ours housemates now as a, as a general rule. Okay. Other people call their um, occupants kind of residents or members. Um, those are probably the biggest ones at the moment that I know. Are the most yeah, common yeah yeah do you know what i was going to ask you guys i got a quick question while we're on the topic of hmos what's your what's your take on people calling 
you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm developing a great co-living space. Oh, gosh. Boys, go. <laughs> have, Boys I just opened go. Up a, have I just opened up a can of worms here? Yeah. How long, how long okay, have you Matt. got? Yeah, Matt Nile, you, you go. Like, yeah. Um. So, well, is it co-living? That'd be my first question. So, um, or you just create a really nice looking HMO. So a nice looking HMO is not co-living because co-living is about managing. It's about the, the, the experience people have living in a property. Cool. So, um, and you can only really get that through, through, um, through how you manage it and how well it's managed. So the, the co-living element is that really uh, the kind of addition of a really great HMO with great management. And then you get this, um, uh, this this co-living model so if someone says i'm creating a really great co-living space i'd say okay well how are you planning to manage it to yeah. get that to get co-living within the property um so that that would be my my kind of um um sense check really so if someone says it, it, it they're just making it look nice and they're doing it really a really design-led hma i'd say that's fantastic um yeah but how how are you adding the service yeah, yeah. I, I, I see a lot of people um shouting about it and saying that they're creating these co-living um properties for housemates or tenants to live in um but then when you see what they've actually created a lot of the time it isn't anything out of the ordinary it doesn't look good for a start and they're not doing anything to actually encourage people to to like uh, co-live if you like they're not encouraging people to uh, create nights out together or movie nights in or whatever it might be to actually create that environment or that uh, atmosphere in the house because it is well, about people yeah it's, it's, it's about the people in the house because because that was that was my whole frustration with it because like you know I've, I've been around to see some hmos on some with some well you know well developed players that have been doing this for a long long time and they're like james check out my co-living space and i'm like I was like, dude, this is not co-living man i said you're encouraging people to be in their individual rooms with a little kitchenette you know, and you're forcing them to stay there. And then communal kitchens are quite small. That That's, for me, that's not co-living. I mean... It's I, in reverse. <laughs> exactly. And they go, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I go, look, I know if I go into, say, our most recent HMO, our London HMO, on a Friday evening or a Saturday evening, or if I'm, you know, walking with my son past the... Because you can see into the kitchen window... For me, it's just it puts a massive smile on my face when I see, say, six or seven of the housemates in there. One's cooking, one's on their laptop, one's watching TV and they've built this whole community. You know, they've just become this whole community and they co they co live together. You'll see them at the bus stop on Friday night. Get, and I know where they're going. They get in the bus down to the pub or I've seen them because I live so close to this one. I kind of see activity going on or mm. Sunday morning. I see three of the guys out there playing football together and it's just like okay so this is what i call people living together you know people forming relationships relationships that really really matter and when you get a message on the whatsapp group during christmas time from them oh james we're having a little christmas party do you want to pop over for a drink oh, and you think, I love it. okay so every single person here has made a conscious effort to build relationship and i think I'm very, very cautious as well. When we got somebody who moves out and someone who moves in, we don't really want to upset the balance. So we kind of got a bit of a criteria list. And I know it's bad. If you don't meet that criteria, we're not moving you in because we've created this lovely balance in the house. And I just think all it takes is for one wrong one to walk in and they upset everybody else. And then that's when you start losing people. And you know, when we have people sign up, we'll have them sign up for two years and they've got no problem signing a two-year contract. And you think, okay, in a HMO, that's that's pretty good. That yes. is decent. Yeah, that is decent. Very good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, to try and uh, mitigate the, the bad eggs moving in, um, we're, we encourage people or the housemates to do the viewings themselves. Yeah. So, so they can pick who's going to be moving. We'll still do all the advertising and the reference checks and everything sure. like that. But when it comes down to actually meeting them, showing them around the house, showing them the space and how they, what their house is going to look like or their new home is going to look like, we think it's important for people that live there to pick who's going to live with them. There's a very common, we've got, um, recently taken over a lot of the management of our portfolio um, since we set up Co-Home. And um, one thing that housemates would often say is that when they would come home from work, if there was an empty room, they said suddenly there would just be a stranger in the house. 
So the agent wouldn't even tell them that there's a new person moving in. They just arrive home to a stranger in the house. And it's just like, it could literally be anybody just walked in off the street and decided to squat, or it could be they're a new paying tenant they didn't know. Sure, sure. No, I agree with you there, because we, I mean, we got one head tenant in this London one. I always refer to her because, again, whenever we're doing viewing, she's just there. She's always floating, and we purposely ask her to float around because she's a very good judge of character, and, you know, she reads people's energies really really well and then she'll be like referring back to the office and saying james you know what i didn't like that guy or i didn't I didn't get the right vibe but we think this girl's excellent she's going to work really well in the house so yeah it's nice it's nice to hear that somebody else does that as well and it's not just about filling the room and uh you know uh, and getting the money in and again like you said not having strangers just turn up in the house yeah we do simple things like just add them to the WhatsApp group a week before they move in so they can start having a little chat with everybody and introducing themselves. And then they know that somebody's moving in and they're already trying to, you know, they're already forming some kind of conversation before before they've arrived. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking back when I used to be a tenant myself, I used to live in, a, in an HMO and the landlady, she lived in Portugal. She used to travel around the camper van, absolute nut job. Um, and she she actually uh, used to delegate the responsibility of finding a tenant. So placing the advert on Gumtree whenever there was a room vacant. So there was always two, there was three rooms and there was always two of us that were staple because we were mates and we were living in there together. And this one room, we had a high, high turnover of tenant. And every single time we had the responsibility and thank God we did. Because when you are in close proximity, having experienced that personally myself with other people, like you say, just coming home to a complete stranger in your space, in your kitchen with your stuff and now their stuff and then their routines and their habits and sharing a bathroom. It was like, no, yeah. no, you yeah. should. That is absolutely a tenant's role is to find the appropriate person. Not that you always get it right on first impressions. It's a bit like interviews and a job. You don't always get it right, do you? <laughs> but, um, yeah. But it's um yeah it, it's 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 a responsibility the tenant should have yeah. It's coming back to something you said, James, about the room size, and you talked about this um, these other developers doing large rooms with kitchenettes in and then small communal kitchens. Um, there's actually a bit of a debate going on at the moment around within our community about um, whether the size of the room should not be so big so you're going for those 16 20 square meter rooms it actually encourages people to stay in the room rather than go to the, use the communal space and if you provide an amazing communal space then actually there's probably a sweet spot of you know 10 to 15 square meters whereby actually that becomes a room which people like to go to and, and get dressed in but then it's not big enough that they can they're going to sit and watch tv there or or cook in or you know, put a microwave in etc they still want to then go and use the communal space so yeah, that's something which uh, has been a debate of uh, how big is too big for a room in a property which is designed to be co-living yeah and no, i agree with you i mean <clears throat> our biggest room is probably about 17 square meters and i feel that's too big most mm. of our rooms are like 11 12 and then obviously you've got the the couple of square meters for and a half for the for the en suites but yeah i'm with you on that because i think if you make it too comfortable in the room what's the point of designing such a nice communal area where you want people to hang out together and and nobody is because you've not made it easy for them yeah especially when most of the rooms i don't know what you guys do but for us it's mainly single occupants we don't yeah. tend to put couples in where we can because it changes the dynamic in the house as well absolutely yeah um, yeah. So having massive rooms, um, which is great for people that have to work at home. So they've got an, they can make a workspace in their bedroom without it encroaching on their actual bedroom space. Um, but there is a bit of, there is a fine line. I think probably maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13 square meters as opposed to 16 or 17 square meters might be a better um, ground for, for that, uh, mm. to be able to do that comfortably. Definitely. Mm. Mm. Cool. So, James, I believe you may have come prepared with a question for us. Although you, that was the question. That, yeah, that was my question. Yeah, that was your question. I've got another one. Very property. I think. Yeah, have you got a non-property specific one? The <laughs> yes, yes, I have. I have. Um, so, what's it like? Because obviously, you you two are, you guys are partners, right? Um, in property, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah, just, um, just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I found in the past partnerships have never really worked well for me. I'm just a lone wolf. 
you know I, I i can't do partnerships but i know they work really really well for other people so my question to you was how how do you guys work as a partnership perfect question for joe <laughs> well yeah so well it depends because i'm a bit like you james i have never really done a formal business partnership with anybody in property because I don't fucking trust anyone so um Mm. and it's just I think for me the commitment of that like well potentially lifetime relationship that is financially entangled that's emotionally entangled that's you know business entangled it's such a big commitment and to date my plan has always been just to do it as a bit of a lone wolf however Mm where my business interests are now expanding beyond property, I want to leverage a partner. I think I'm at a stage where I want to find a business partner because you do see successful models of it working. Um, you know, and clearly, you know, Scott uh, Baker Properties is an example of that. So I think objectively talking about these two and why their business partnership works is because they are chalk and cheese. Okay. So we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, haven't we boys? Like, so Matt's brain um, is like, and you you boys can speak to this yourselves afterwards, but like Matt's brain is sort of like blue sky, big picture, you know, and then he'll kind of like, but then he'll also like the practicalities of it all and sort of like, it's more about the, the inception of the idea and less about the actual implementation of it. It's all ideas, it, that's, that's Matt. And then you've got Nal who comes in and he's got that real sort of personable, tenant first emotional connection to the property where he'll have considered something about the project i'm not saying you're an asshole matt i'm just saying <laughs> i i i, I heard asshole well the thing is if you talk to matt if you if you said if you had the same conversation with matt about something matt would go straight to the practical now will go straight to the emotional like every single time right and so right. and and i think they apply the same logic to property so now's practical now's logical as well but his head will be led by the, the i guess it, emotional sounds too i don't know i'm sure it's almost feminizing it yeah but it's not it's very it's person-centered and i think that balance of practical and person-centered is what makes their relationship work also matt is a stress head like he gets super stressed nile is sort of so cool he's a cucumber it's like (laughs) yeah it's it's true i'm just being honest you know you are so um, well, I, I was talking about, uh, just to carry out that, I, I, I do get stressed occasionally, and Matt, bears the, Matt will bear the brunt of that when I'm stressed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I, I would say I, I, I'm, yes, I only get stressed when things are very stressful. Yeah. <clears throat> or when you've got too much on, you know, when you've got yes, that, yes, yeah, yes. the overwhelm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I get, I would get stressed when I feel out of control or I'm not uh, yeah. aware of everything that's happening. Then I start to panic and then I start to get, uh, yeah. I think, but, I think uh, we, sorry, Matt's an amazing troubleshooter. That's what yes. you, you I think. Well, all of, all of what Joe has said yeah. is, is, is very true and what the reasons why we work together, obviously, but um, we, knew each other we didn't just start we just didn't just meet and jump into a, a business relationship immediately um, and this that's something that really annoys me when I see people going to a networking event mm. trying to meet their business partner and it's like that that's not how it works you know you get to know someone first you find out what they're all about and what their future aspirations are what they're planning to do um, and then if it's aligned and and you get along together then you can start looking at a business partnership and becoming more uh, more involved in that sense. But I think, you know, Matt and I have learned over the past few years how to work with each other. Um, Because again, you just don't start working with someone and suddenly it's all a bed of roses. Um, I think the biggest learning curve for us was when we started working in in an office together. Because up until that point, we were remote working. And um, when we... Uh, became I guess more formal in the sense of the business Uh, we set up an office down in Brighton and that's when you really get to know what someone is like working with them day in and day out Um, because you see the little nuances that you don't normally see when you're working remotely or you only see them once a month or whatever Um, so that was a big learning curve as well and it's learning to work with each other learning to respect each other's um, foibles if you like um, quirks (laughs) (laughs) and and just being 
having good communication as well, communicating and, with each other. So I knowing what the other person's looking to achieve at the end. Matt and I have different goals at the end because we've got different uh, personal uh, achievements that we want to want to reach. Um, but that's fine. We both know that from day one, so we work towards that. Mm. I was just going to add, um, giving each other space as well. Mm. And that's something I, I had to learn, being a bit of a control freak. Yeah. I think that's that was the game changer in your business relationship. Do you remember when you had the two businesses running parallel and you were kind of both involved in each of them and then you just made that brave decision to say, no, Matt, you're going to head up that business and no, you're going to head up that business, although you're both involved. It was like you just, as soon as you made that division and that clarity, it suddenly felt like things really took off on both sides. That's what it felt like anyway. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Mm. But you're like an old married couple. Yeah, honestly, do a podcast with him, James. Knife <laughs> in your hands, babe. Swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> well, a business partnership is like a marriage. You're you're tied to that person for a very long time. So well, I, can, I, I, I can attest. I can attest to that. Um, having been divorced once. Same. Right. <laughs> there's like, only listen. one Nile. There's there's there'll always be two wives. Absolutely. Hey. <laughs> you see, I've been I've been around longer now than the two wives, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> must be doing something right you're the work wife, <laughs> I'm the work wife yeah. i think something noel said there was really good like in the sense you know you meet people at networking events and people form relationships too quickly oh. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't go off and marry someone after meeting them you know and spending an evening with them you know this so and a lot of people just get into jv partnerships and then they realize why stuff starts going wrong very early on because it's like look you've not even given it any time to see what the hell annoys you about this person you've just gone straight in and committed thank you do you know this is my biggest thing and this is part of the reason that i've never done property with a, a business partner because it's it's so much more than just the the asset it's so much more it's a it's a relationship and I think um I, I set up a business with a business partner outside of property although I know her through property and we did the whole thing you know we did our value systems we understood our love languages we talked about you know we did the Clifton strengths assessment we did personality quizzes we did the what's the wealth dynamics quiz yep. spent money really understanding how the other one ticks because when things go wrong in your business you need to deploy the strongest skill set and you also need to know how to communicate effectively with the other person when things aren't going well but also when they go right how does that person experience that success how do they experience oh, that achievement cool. then that's before you even get into the financial you know you you are linked and you are bound and there are contracts in place and that's, you know, this is serious stuff. This is not something to just nip along to like a networking event and go, hey, hey, you're a builder. You do the work. I'll bring the money. Hey, hey, let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's OK to have different opinion, differences in opinion and everything, because we obviously do. We're different people. But on the big things, on the main things, we tend to agree on, mm. which which is important. No, it's yeah. good to know. I think it all comes back down to what you were saying earlier. It's about. It's about knowing each other, isn't it? Like you know your clientele. If you know your clientele so well, you should know each other really well as well. True. Yeah. Yeah, and have space outside of the business relationship as well to be able to soundboard your relationship, not just mm -hmm. your, your your bed partner, because sometimes they're not appropriate. They're almost too close. But having a trusted colleague that you could say oh do you know what sometimes I just find this a bit frustrating about that person and you've said it and it's almost like you've said it out loud but you haven't upset mm. the other person they don't need to know about it it's just cool. you need to vent it get it out and then the next day it's gone you know um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that Joe is Niall's person I'm, I'm everyone's person I swear <laughs> to god I get the phone calls from so many different property investor goes do you know what he did today he really fucked me off you know I love him I love him so much but you know, and then like, that's it. It never goes any further. And then you'll see them at like a, a soiree or you'll see them at a thing and it's like, everything's fine. So it's, we've, it's so we've fine. got Uncle James and we've got Auntie Joe. You're the agony yeah, auntie. <laughs> James, are you saying that this is pointing towards a business relationship, babe? Yeah, like it's yeah, going that way. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Huh. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Yeah, the uh, aunt and Uncle JJ or something like that. Oh my yeah. God, that works. <laughs> But the podcast is already the J2 podcast, so yeah. it's almost yeah. on brand. Maybe we could be the agony aunts and uncle of the property investing world. Of the property world, world yeah. Just listen yeah. to people 
a whole new yeah. business forming here, guys. You heard it here first. Ten percent profits come to us. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so episode roulette. Yeah, get your kickback, boys. Don't worry. Got it. Got it. We've got it ready. Okay, so just as a recap, James, I'm going to scroll through our previous episodes of Property Jam. Uh, you sh- you shout stop at any point and uh, give us your opinion on that particular topic. So I am scrolling. Stop. Ooh, okay. This is quite a decent one. Episode 12. Not that there, any of them were bad. I mean, they're all really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> but goal setting. Uh, so are, you, are you a goal setter um, yes, or are yes. you... Yeah. Yes, I am a goal setter. Do you know what? It's funny you've landed on them, that one as well because I'm actually recording a podcast today on goal setting. So it's really, really strange you've come across goal setting. And I'm just reaching out for my journal here. And I just wanted to actually, I've just gone off on a tangent. You were going to ask me a question and I've just gone off on that one. Was the question. Oh, that's great. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah. So I think, look, I, I when I set my goals, I set them in certain categories. And I'm constantly revisiting them. And I do write them in my journal. I've got a lovely journal here that I record everything in. uh, And I write in this every single day. And it's all handwritten. There's nothing, you know, as much as I love technology, all of this is handwritten, Mm. wonderful colours so that I can look at it and refer back to it. And when I do my goals, um, I split them into sections. So I have financial goals. um, I have career and business goals. I have family time and free time goals. Um, health and appearance goals, relationship goals, personal growth, and lastly, making a difference goals. So they're all kind of split into certain sections. And, you know, I write these down and I do refer back to them and I look at them and I make sure all my goals are time bound as well. So I'm not just pissing in the wind, you know, I could write whatever I want on this list unless I've got some kind of time frame to it. Um, I am not going to, uh, I'm not going to do it. And I'll just read you out one of those. Um, in making a difference, how can I use my skills in property, business and design to help others at no cost? So that's just something that's gone down there in my making goals. I'm not sure how that's going to work just yet, but, you know, it's there and I will revisit that at some time. Um, Free refurbs for a local needy family, a community-based project where trades come together to help renters in poor living conditions, something to discuss with other property guys. Lovely. I like that a lot. So, do you know, there's... Because I think you get to a point where if you're not doing something other than just creating a product and making money, it just becomes pointless. So these are just some of the things um, I've got. You know, get involved with a community-based project non-profit that makes a difference um so yeah that's some of my making a difference goals um a personal growth i will get i will get better at organizing my time and getting less stressed with work overload so these are things that i'm identifying you can see they're not like linked to any massive amounts of you know like i want this i want that they're quite they're quite like reasonable goals um Relationship goals. I will communicate my emotions and feelings in all my relationships. I will not hold back my feelings in. Sorry, I will not hold my feelings in, but instead tell people how I feel. Because for me, for years, it's been difficult to kind of say to people, hey, do you know what? You really upset me. I don't really like you. I wouldn't really say that, but, you know, to talk about my most inner deep emotions. So um, I think um, he's talking about Tej again here. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) we get it. Don't worry. So yeah, I mean, I'll read he loves you, Eddie. He loves you really. Yeah, he does. He does. We've got a love-hate relationship. Um, for, I'll read you one out from my family time. I will make a conscious effort to spend quality time with my family, extended family, and protect this time. You know, because I think it's not. You know, when you pull out your phone, you're at a family do, or you're with your family. Um, you're not really spending quality time with them. So these are just certain yeah. things I've identified. Um, so I'm a massive goal setter. Yeah, I think. I think you need to have goals because they keep you in line. They give they give you something to refer back to. They give you something to, you know, check in with. And, you know, you can always add to them. You can always take bits off. You can always move goals. But, yeah, if you don't have goals, 
what's the point? You're kind of just waking up in the morning and just going through another day with not really wanting to achieve anything. Yeah, you're just going through the motions just for the hell of it without any actual real thought or purpose behind it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you call them really goals? Do you do you actually call them goals or do you call them something else? Because a lot of people struggle with the word goal because I think they feel like it's something they have to hit or you know they miss the if they miss the goal by the end of the year when they review it you get that sense of not quite achieving it. Is that how you still frame it in those? In no, I still way? I still reframe it as goals. And the reason why I link June with it is as well because I think it's important to every single morning I list down how I'm feeling that day or right. what challenges have really kind of stressed me or what am I up against at, at that moment in time? Because when you look back in December and you look at what you put down in January, what was actually causing you issue, you think, why the hell was I worried about that? You know, when you've overcome it a month or two later. Yeah. So it's nice to kind of just refer back to your journal and think, you know what? Yeah, this was, um, this was something that I was stressing about, but I've overcome it. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. That that was a great answer, by the way. That was a great answer. <laughs> that must have just been fluke. You just gave me one that I'm going to talk about later on. <laughs> the universe, it's the universe. Let me see if I can be as lucky on the second one. Okay, so um, for one more, we have time for one more, Matt. Yeah. Licensing, licensing, one, licensing. One more, and we're hoping for licensing. Okay. <laughs> scrolling now. Scrolling it was boring now, yes. topic on it. Uh... Stop. Oh, okay. Maybe quite relevant as well. Property wellness. What was this one? Does your health matter when it comes to property? Mm, your own health. Your own yeah. health, yeah. I, I think massively, again, we, we um, at our most recent property networking event, we had, a, we had a fitness and a wellness coach come in and everybody was saying to me, oh, James, why have you gone and booked this guy? This is a property event. We want to find out about making money, blah, blah, blah. And you've got someone in here telling us how we should be living our life. And I refer it back to, look, when you're building a house, your foundations need to be solid. Now, if your foundations ain't solid in your personal health, what, what's the point? You know, you're kind of failing straight away. You wouldn't build a house with dodgy foundations. So why are you building a property business with dodgy foundations? And for years, for me, yeah, I was, I was um, you know, I was, um, I didn't have a great lifestyle. You know, I was there out enjoying myself ballooned up in weight and only recently i'm starting to get this all back in control and then starting to really enjoy fitness running and training again and I, I think it's hugely hugely important because i think when you look physically good you demand attention without saying anything you know i think you're successful in so many areas it's like i give this example i say look if somebody pulls up in a nice ferrari he's using the ego of that ferrari to look good i said you could be walking beside him and you could have a great body. You could look absolutely fantastic and not say a word. And what you've got, you haven't paid for. You've worked for. You've created the right foundation. And I'm sorry to say, it, you, only, you only have to be in a room. And if you see somebody walk in who looks physically fit, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, you're going to stop and think, that guy looks good or that girl looks good. Yeah. And, that, and they've demanded respect and attention without saying a word because of the hard work they've put into themselves. And I think when they're trying to do a deal with someone or when they're trying to tell something to someone, you're going to think if this guy's got so much discipline in himself, he's going to be massively disciplined in whatever he does. Or if he's taking my money and he's investing my money, he's going to do it. He's going to treat it with the same respect. So I think oh, yeah, physical fitness is hugely important. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're like literally singing my song from the hymn sheet. I believe in all of this. Like I, I coach and mentor and, and keynote speak on perform all you are. Right. And yeah. it's exactly that. How you present yourself and how you perform who you are comes down to so much of like your aesthetic and how you come across. It, it embodies trust. And yeah, I speak on this, like, like your communication style, your ability to perform confidently, your ability to present yourself and how you come across the things you wouldn't even think to consider when you're having, you know, conversations with investors, estate agents, you know, sure. all of this stuff, it plays into that health element, both mental and physical. Oh my God, boy, we are dead. We, we've got chat. We've got chat. And then, do you know what? And then you feel great as well. People say to me, because I regularly post on my Instagram what I'm doing. People are like, James, it's minus three. Why are you out running 10K at five o'clock in the yeah. morning? I go, because that's not motivation. That's discipline. That's habit. I know I need yeah. to do that to feel great during the day. 
or then why why have you got an afternoon session in the gym as well I go because i've got a new goal i'm trying to i'm trying to be in the best shape i can you know in my 40s and in order to do that i've got to put the work in i can't That's just it. i can't just sit on my ass and dream about it and you know yes it hurts you when you get older things hurt you know and it's more difficult and i need to go and see my osteo and my physio a lot more because i'm putting myself through some physical pain but at the end of it i know that if i haven't got a good foundation or a good base everything else is going to crumble and when the going gets tough and mentally you're stressed and you know what it's like when you're in a hmo project there's lots of moving parts you do get stressed at times i think if you've got the right foundation in your physical health it will help you overcome a lot of other things as well definitely because when you feel at your best you perform at your best and exactly yeah. 100%. yeah amazing well i think that's a really good way to end the, the podcast <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, you feel your best, you perform to your best. Mm. So thank you, James, for giving the best of yourself uh, to us today. No problems and at all. Thanks for having me, guys. No, it's been absolutely great. Um, if people want to reach out, how can they get in touch with you? How can they listen to uh, JT Podcast? So I am most active on Instagram. I post things about property, about my personal life. I post things when I'm out with my kids, lots of things. And um you can reach me at James H. Sohota, which is S-A-H-O-T-A. Don't forget the H in the middle, so it's James H. Sohota. Uh, that's where I'm most active. And, yeah, I do have a podcast, the J2Hub podcast, um, which, yeah, has has regular episodes come out. Um, we do joint bits, me and Tej together. And it's, uh, it's just me and him taking the mick out of each other, really. So let's wrap it up. That's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Come and jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more. On Facebook, search Property Jam Podcast. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Property Jam Podcast. Or you can email us at propertyjampodcast at outlook.com. See, See you on the next, next episode. episode.